Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. Have we gotten to this point where people wake up every morning looking for something to be offended about? I live in this place called the real world, and I understand what is going to happen. Her story is, I was trying to scare him away. At the same time, she shot him point blank in the face. Okay, that's not exactly a warning shot. The AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give Jeff a call at 414-799-1620. Coming up next, Squirrel. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. First of all, thank you to everybody who came out for our Kids to Kids Christmas event in West Bend on Friday. We appreciate your generous donations. Two more remote broadcasts. One, uh, the next one's coming up a week from this coming Friday. We're going to be at VMP Manor Park. Tell you more about that as we get closer. If you follow me on Twitter, sent out a note yesterday, and it, I have to admit, this is the most, this is the most flat out bizarre local story maybe of of the year it's the story about this this guy who was living in the woods literally right across the street from where i am sitting um and if you see the picture of him well he looks like a guy who was living in an eight foot deep eight foot wide 20 foot long bunker apparently for seven to ten years in the woods, pretty much right across the street from our our studios, Capitol Drive and Humboldt. All right, now um, you you look at a picture of him in the tweet I sent out. You can follow me. It's at Jeff Wagner 620 says, okay, this guy was allegedly living in a shelter with a bunch of weapons across the street from our studio. Kind of makes you look forward to coming to work in the morning. It's just... It's a flat-out strange thing, but but there's really kind of two sides to the story. And if you see the picture of the guy, all I can say is he looks like the type of person, if, you know, pictures sometimes could be misleading, he looks like the kind of person that you would expect that would be living in a, a bunker for seven to ten years. So what happens is, the other day, last week, apparently somebody at Esterbrook Park, and this is right by the beer garden, Esterbrook Park, etc., hears gunshots. And so the police go to investigate. They find this man in the woods. He leads them back to his bunker that he has, and they find a bunch of guns and all sorts of things in it. Um, His story is that he became uh, angry when a couple of his dogs ran away, so he fired a shot or a couple shots from the shotgun into the Milwaukee River. So in this this bunker, police find four guns, a sawed-off shotgun. They found three knives. They found a bow and arrow that were fashioned from snowplow equipment. They found a grill, propane tanks, a skillet, a generator. They also found uh, canned goods and boxes of of food. All right, the guy who was there, his name is Jeffrey with a G, Groff. You know, he says he'd been living there for, you know, years. They think he might have been there for, you know, seven to ten years. The sheriff 
correctly says it's one of the most bizarre, maybe the most bizarre case he's seen in 40-plus years in law enforcement. He says, you know, one wonders how, in an urban setting, an individual was able to hide in plain sight. He said, uh, you know, this this is, how, how could you, how could somebody live in the woods like this for, you know, seven years? So he gets arrested, and here's where it gets really interesting. He gets arrested for the sawed-off shotgun. And for discharging it, he gets taken into Milwaukee County Circuit Court and they they give the guy a a bail. They set bail in the amount of twenty thousand dollars. Now, it is interesting because you can rob liquor stores with a lengthy criminal record and a gun and not have a cash bail of $20,000. So they give this guy a bail of $20,000. He's quoted on one of the TV stations as saying, $20,000, just give me the death penalty. I, that's more than I've made in about ever. This is a guy who, who's living in a bunker you know, off of the Milwaukee River. He has no money. So, I mean, $20,000 might as well be, you know, $20 million. But what gets really interesting to me is, um, Channel 12 goes out and they find they find a friend of this guy, you know, who who they start talking to. And the friend says, look, um, you know, here, here's when you, when you see the headline and you see the mugshot that the media is running. Well, the story's already written itself. And his buddy says, I don't think that's fair. Seeing someone that I know being portrayed in such a negative, condescending light that people judge him and write a story before they really know him. That's what made me speak out. So the buddy says the guy, this would be the guy living in the bunker, is not some kook living in the woods. He's a guy that chose to live in the woods. He's just a nice guy who chose to live in a different way. There are positive stories to him that outweigh the negative, and you can talk to any people around town. He'd go to businesses where people would see him on the river. They'd say he's peaceful. They say he was nice, and this is shocking to them that he would do anything negative. The anything negative being that you know he gets angry and so he he fires off the the gun. They talk about how apparently this guy was was well known in the area. He said. Um, you know, we would, you know, we would run into him, you know, at Esterbrook Park. We hung out. We would build things. We would create. We would see the city. We were riding at Esterbrook Park once, and he shows up with his bicycle part that he had forged out of aluminum cans the night before and shows up with um, the cranks that he had built. But he forged a bicycle park overnight over a fire with aluminum cans. He's wicked smart. All right. And he's just living in, in this bunker for years and years and years, and somehow goes undetected by authorities. I I have two points on this. First of all, I, I fail to understand if it is true that this guy was living underground in this bunker, literally across the street from where I am in Milwaukee, how you could go seven to 10 years without somebody, I'm talking about somebody official, you know, somebody knowing that that you're there. I mean, it's almost amazing to me that it took the guy firing the shotgun for somebody to realize, hey, we've had somebody for the last decade, summer, winter, spring, fall, living in a bunker that they've dug out, you know, on, along the Milwaukee River and Capitol Drive, you know, right adjacent to Esterbrook Park. OK, that that's number one. But number two, and this is what I would like to discuss with you, which is an interesting element of this, right? They set a $20,000 bond for the guy, 
which, like I say, might as well be $20 million. No significant prior record. I think a couple disorderly conduct citations from, you know, five years ago, seven years ago, 10 years ago. No significant criminal record. No, at, at all. No felonies. Nothing like that. He didn't hold up a liquor store. He didn't shoot his guns at anybody. It just appears to be a guy who wants to sort of, in his description, kind of live off the, the grid, even though in this case you're, you're in an urban area, which makes it tougher to, to quote-unquote live off the grid. 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I want to discuss what the guy's buddy says. He says, look, you, I understand. You look at the you look at the mugshot they put out. You know, you hear the story about how he had a couple firearms and things like that. But he's really a nice guy. He's not a violent guy. This was just the lifestyle that he chose to have. And, you know, we shouldn't. We shouldn't treat the guy essentially as the Unabomber. My phrase, not theirs. 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Merely because, again, you're, you're living in this bunker, which is really, really weird. I do not understand how he was able to get away with this with nobody noticing him. But should we assume that he's dangerous? 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. The bail they set on him definitely assumes that this guy is a danger and a flight risk and things like that. At least his buddy that's talking to TV says this is not the guy. He's, that That's not a fair representation. 414-799-1620. It's weird, but is it dangerous? Is he dangerous? 414-799-1620. We discuss in just a moment. Is this bail excessive? You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. A number of people are saying, what exactly is the crime this guy is charged with committing? And he, he, it's discharge of a firearm. So he, I mean, the, the way he got caught, the way they found him, which is just unbelievable to me, is... I, that, that he was able. That he apparently he's, his story is he got frustrated that the dog his dogs ran away, so he took a handgun and he fired a couple shots into the Milwaukee River out of frustration. That's that, that's his story. After you know somebody heard the shots, they called nine one one. They found him in the woods. He took investigators back to this bunker where he's apparently been living. He says for seven to ten years. They found a number of. They found four firearms total. Um, including a sawed-off shotgun. So I think there's charges in connection with that. But this, it's it's not like assaultive behavior. He's on $20,000 bail. Let's talk to Jeff on the northwest side. Jeff, you're on WTMJ. Hey, Jeff, how are you? I'm well, thank you. This is a strange story. You know, I'm glad you're talking about this one because this one, it's it's kind of had me scratching my head ever since it came out. that they're They're kind of portraying this guy and kind of making an example out of him for something he didn't do. I mean... He has no history. He, he's never hurt anybody. He's right, a couple couple disorderly conduct charges that are yeah. like eight or ten years old. Right, no felony behavior, no right. crimes of violence. Yes. Right, he's never hurt anybody. He's never attempted to hurt anybody, and he's never threatened to hurt anybody. So, you know, I'm uh, unless, I'm missing something here because it just seems that uh, that they're really going after this guy for well, right for, for some unknown reason. Right, I, I, well, I, I think it's because it's. 
first of all, I, I mean, and, and this is one how it, it really is an example. Now, I, I don't know this man at all, but it, it, it you look at the mugshot of the guy and he looks like a psycho killer. I mean, the, the way the mugshot is. But, you know, his friend is saying, hey, we used to see this guy around all the time. And it's he, it's just he said he's not a kook. It's now I, I would argue if you're living in a bunker, you know, <laughs> off well, of he's, Esterbrook he's not, Park. You know, he's, it's a very odd lifestyle, obviously. Right. But it doesn't necessarily make you a danger. Now, I think, you know, I mean, I think it's for see, I guess I'm kind of with you, Jeff. I think it's fair to ask, how could somebody be able to get away with this? I mean, it, it seems to me somebody, multiple people had to know that he was there. And it's amazing to me that nobody alerted authorities or authorities didn't find him or the, you know, people responsible for, you know, checking out Esterbrook Park, you know, didn't know. Now, this was technically, I guess, on land owned by MATC right next to Esterbrook Park. But it, it's Milwaukee. How could you live in a bunker, you know, in a wooded area? And nobody knows you're there. And I, and I think if he would have been a danger or a threat, he would have been on the radar. Um, yeah. Oh, a- absolutely. No, no, thanks for calling. And, and that's, I, I guess, that's kind of the hook. It, it's, you, you hear this and you think, okay, Unabomber. You think Ted Kaczynski. And I, I think this is a lot more complicated than that. And honestly, when I heard $20,000 bail, now you're talking about somebody who, you know, complains all the time about the ridiculous bail decisions that get made in Milwaukee County. You know, people with history of of violent behavior, people with multiple felonies who get caught with firearms, who get turned loose on personal recognizance or, or something like that. And then I see this guy comes along and he get they put him on $20,000 bail, which, again, it's not like he's got a job. I mean, he's, he's a guy that lives underground it's a weird story there's no question about it but the i to me i i think in some respects the the whole system and the spin is overreacting to the weirdness of this and admittedly it's weird without really focusing on okay is the guy really a danger what what did he what did he do? And if he was now, admittedly, he's got a bunch of firearms in a bunker. Okay, that that that, he, that he's living in. But but at the same time, it's not like he was taking those guns and he was shooting at people or anything. He gets frustrated, and I, I and I'm not saying he shouldn't be criminally charged. I'm not saying they shouldn't clear out the bunker or anything like that. I, I am just wondering. All right, are we overplaying this? Okay, now here's the text. Jeff, a normal person doesn't fire a gun because their dog runs uh, away. Um, our society claims to be more aware of mental health issues, but this guy's classified as normal. Come on. Well, I, look, I'm not arguing it's normal. It, it's it's certainly what we – I think it would – I would not describe this as a normal lifestyle choice, and I'm not – absolving the conduct i mean obviously there's something going on here and and yes you 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 don't just shoot out in anger so i mean i i think you know the charges are appropriate but you know to me it, it's it's an excessive bond um jeff it's unfairly high bond for a guy um you know he wants to live by the river let him he's not hurting anyone um drug dealers don't get bonds that high i, I guess that's what kind of struck 
me. Um, Jeff, the sawed-off shotgun is a felony. I think the poor guy is being judged based on his looks and his lifestyle, and I think that that's uh, a shame. Jeff, the same collection of weapons in your home is illegal. His only crime is trespassing in an area that nobody coveted. Well, no, I mean, he, he discharged the firearm, okay, so that's a crime, and if he had a sawed-off shotgun, that's a crime, too, but at the same time, he, he didn't walk into a, a liquor store or a gas station on Capitol Drive in short would and and hold it hold it up it's just um it's weird and, and that's it uh, jeff it's all about guns and living off the grid surveillance state hates what it can't monitor um who knows if the dog is running away is a true story yeah you 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 don't know exactly you know that um i think Clearly, you you can't allow people to, quote unquote, live off the grid and live as a squatter. To me, the more interesting thing is, first of all, what's going on here? Are there mental health issues? The guy needs to get the help he needs. Secondly, doesn't seem to me like he should be in possession of firearms. I think that's pretty clear. And I do think, you know, one of the fair questions to to ask here is, um, how was he able to do this for all this time? I, I mean, I guess that's I find that stunning that there's. Nobody that called this in, that the county sheriffs had no clue that this was going on, that MATC that owns the land had no clue that this was going on. And I, Dick and Grafton, Dick, you're on WTMJ. Hi, Jeff. Uh, when this was originally announced on Channel 4 WTMJ um, a, a week or so ago, they mentioned that one of their video people had seen movement over there it's near the station, as I understand. Right. It's Went right across the street from where we are. Yep. Right. Went over and took video that they showed on TV that night. And I'm sitting there thinking, wait a minute. <laughs> a professional video person working for a major TV station in the United States goes and sees this mess that the guy had near the bunker. Right. Could have... I mean, it wouldn't take a Rhodes Scholar to figure out, man, this is like public land, or this. Right. maybe I should mention something to law enforcement casually. I mean, and on top of it, don't the video people from the TV station, don't they interact with law enforcement on a regular basis? Well, I could be wrong, but I, I think I think that, that this was made available to law enforcement. As a matter of fact, that, I'm pretty sure of that, and just nobody thought anything of it. <laughs> which is which really? is bizarre. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that's what happened. And just nobody thought any, to do any sort of follow up or anything. Wow. Yeah, that's uh, thanks. At least that that is that is my understanding. Uh, but you're right. That's like the last month or so. But he's been there for seven years. How, and, and look, and it's not like we're talking about somebody in way up north Wisconsin where there's nobody around for 50 miles. Okay, we're not talking about that. We're talking about right across the street from the largest radio station in the state and one of the largest TV stations. And he was able to just do this. This is Jeff Wagner. This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. I guess at the risk of repeating myself, it is amazing that with all the, the stuff, this is right off the Milwaukee River. You have, like during the summer, you have people, they're going up and down in boats and kayaks and canoes. You have 
all the clean up the river area. You have all the people from the park. It's it's amazing to me that somebody could live in an eighty by eighty bunker that they that they that they've dug out for years and years and years, and nobody finds them. It's just. I, I don't know what to say beyond that. To me, that's the most you know fascinating part of the story, which makes me wonder, do we have other hermits that are living? And again, it, it's not like you're in the middle of no disrespect to people who you know live in, in some of the counties we have in Wisconsin where there's more trees than there are people. But th- this isn't in you know some you know, desolate rural area where there's nobody around this is this is Milwaukee and you had a guy that was able to supposedly do this for years and years join us WTMJ for our annual holiday radio show it comes up a week from Thursday that is Thursday December 5th new location this year we listen to some of your feedback and we're having it this year at the Italian Community Center big advantage of the ICC in Milwaukee's third ward Free parking, free parking, big lot right across the street from the facility. We're ringing in the holiday season with game shows and skits. Matter of fact, I have a a special segment all my own. I finished. I finished writing it. I've been working on it for a couple weeks, and I thought it was a little bit short on funny, so I've been working on punching it up. And actually, if I do say so myself, I think it's pretty good. We want you to be there. Get your tickets now. now. Here's the way this works. Tickets are not available at the door. You need to do it by going to WTMJ.com. The tickets are 25 bucks a piece, and the ticket sales help support Capco and WTMJ Radio's Kids to Kids Toy Drive. Historically, this is sold out, so do not be shut out. Typically what happens is it sells out, and then a couple days before I hear from people saying, Hey, Jeff, can you get me tickets? And the answer is, No, I can't. I'm sorry. It's the WTMJ Holiday Radio Show presented by Capco Metal Stamping, Capri Senior Communities, the Bartolotta Restaurants, and VMP Healthcare and Community Living in West Dallas. Once again, go to WTMJ.com, scroll down to the middle of the page, you'll see WTMJ Holiday Radio Show. Okay, should we do something like this here in Wisconsin, we have under state law, there is a moratorium that you, the utility companies are not legally allowed to shut off your utilities. I think it's from no, November 1st through April 15th. You can't shut people's utilities off for non payment. And so, what happens? And we, we've talked about this before. Now, obviously, look, the idea, the reason you do it is because. You know, we, we don't want people in the dead of winter to go without, you know, heat, to go without electricity, etc. The problem is, if you take away the pressure to pay that bill, it is just human nature. You know, if you've got a cell phone and you don't pay that cell phone bill, after 60 days, they're going to cut off your service. If you've got a car and you don't make a payment, you know, after, what, 60 or 90 days, they're going to come and they're going to repo the car. If you've got, you know, cable TV or satellite TV or whatever, and you don't make a payment, well, after, you know, 60 to 90 days, they're going to cut off your service. So what happens is there is a percentage of people who, once November 1st rolls around, they just make the decision that, hey, this is no longer a priority to pay for our utilities. So we won't pay them, and we'll we'll worry about it in April. And the problem, of course, comes if you don't make a payment for six months, and by the time April rolls around, you're so far in the hole that you got really no chance of, of ever really realistically digging out of it. So what happens a good portion of the time is the utility company has to write it off, and the rest of us who pay 
pay our bills. We we have to pay. Now, I'm not and I've never been an advocate for saying you automatically cut people off. But I, I do think this idea of just allowing people to essentially not be able to pay that bill when you can pay other bills, I think it's a matter of bad public policy. And I, I think that there should be an obligation for on the part of people, even in winter, you know, to work with the utility company to at least pay portions of it if they've got, for example, the ability to pay for a cell phone or to pay for a car payment or to pay for, you know, cable TV or whatever. Down in Chicago, though, they have taken this one more step. The new mayor of Chicago, who is a, a really a radical, radical lefty, her name is Lori Lightfoot, and when she was sworn in to, to office, here, here's what she said she was going to do, and she's done this. The city's water department has been directed that they are not allowed to shut off water for people who are not paying their bills. She says water is a basic, basic human right. If you're turning off water, you're effectively evicting people, and we know that this disproportionately, this is her saying it, affects low-income people of color who are going to be shut off from water services. We have to be much more thoughtful and much more empathetic to people who are struggling. So they're they're not allowed to shut off water for non-payment, and as a result... Surprise follows surprise. They estimate that right now, Chicago is already, in just the first six months of this, that they've already got a shortfall of about $20 million in the water budget. Now, not all of that is because of non-payment. It, it also might be, hey, maybe people are conserving, they're, they're not using as much. But a good portion of that is that people simply aren't paying their bills because they know that their water's not going to be shut off. Our number is 414-799-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Right, That's what they're doing in Chicago. It's not just gas and electric during the winter. It's now water at any time because the mayor views water as a basic human right. So don't pay. Don't worry. We're not going to shut it off. Should we do something like that here? 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. Should we just have free water service regardless of whether or not people are, number one, paying or, number two, making any effort to pay? My answer would be no, but I'm willing to discuss. 414-799-1620. Does this sound like something that we should import to southeastern Wisconsin or to Wisconsin in general. No water shutoffs in addition to no utility shutoffs. 414-799-1620. We discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. Back for more. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. Here's a text, Jeff. My advice is to closely monitor all Chicago policies and then do the opposite. Those guys always seem to get it wrong. Um, Jeff, to all those people who refuse to pay, what contributions do they offer to society? Well, see, that, that's part of the that's part of the thing about this. I, I understand the need of being compassionate and not wanting to discriminate against the people who are, you know, in the most vulnerable position economically. At the same time. There's not a free lunch. 
There, there's not free electricity. There's not free natural gas. And, and there's not free water. What I think you have to do is I think rather than simply saying we're not going to shut it off, I mean, I, I do think you have to, and it's fair, to require the people for who the water is about to be shut off or the electricity is about to be shut off, it, it's fair to require them to reach out to the utility company and at least try to make some arrangements to contribute a portion to the bill. If they legitimately can't pay their, their water bill, all right, it, I think it's fair to say you got to make a good faith effort because it, in those cases, and again, I don't know what percentage of cases it is, but I guess I'm willing to bet that a lot of the people who have suddenly decided to stop paying their water bill in Chicago, they do have things that you know are arguably less necessary than, than water, like cell phones or cable TV or car payments or things of the like that they're choosing to make because they know that they will lose those things. You take away the pressure. Hey, they're going to shut off the water. They're going to shut off the lights. Well, okay, well, I, I, you know, if you're not going to do that, there's no incentive to make the payment. Robert in Sheboygan. Robert, you're in WTMJ. Hi. In regards to Sheboygan, what the water utility does here, if there's a large outstanding balance, because I'm a property owner and the tenant is responsible for the water, right? they send me a letter saying this tenant owes... $700, and it will be going on your taxes this year if the tenant does not catch up or it is not paid. Right. And so, so tell, play this out for me. So then so then, what happens? You notify, presumably, you notify the tenant that, you, you know, you owe 700 bucks. My guess yep. is not a lot of those tenants then turn around and write you a $700 check, or am I wrong? No, you, <laughs> you're absolutely correct. That doesn't happen very often, in which case the water then is requested to be shut off by me, the property owner, Okay. until they can um, essentially afford to either pay me back on a payment plan or pay the water utility mm-hmm. to um, get caught, caught back up to where their water can be turned back on. Right, but so, you get stuck with it. Short term, you get stuck with You're going to be the one that has to pay that bill because the property's under your name. Um, so, yeah. you know, if it's a low-income tenant and you try to work with them as much as you can, but ultimately, you know, if they have no water, they're not going to want to live there. Um, so, and essentially, you are kind of almost evicting them, or you will have to evict them. Right, at some point in time. Do you think that's unfair? I don't think it's unfair at all. Um, huh. I think it's unfair to the property owner that it gets goes on my tax bill when they don't pay right. the bill. Right, exactly. And, and again, the, the thing is... I, I, my my guess is, if you were to look, that that not all, but many of the people who are doing that, it, that, they're making other payments on other things. Like I say, the cell phones or whatever that would be cut off if they didn't make the payment. But because they figure, okay, there's not going to be any consequence, I, I can stiff the utility company. I can stiff you. And you know what's what's the big deal? You know, worst case scenario, I play this out as long as I can, and then I move and I move somewhere else where I can get water. Yep. Yep, that's the that's the game they play. Um, they do it with um, electricity um, as well. What they'll try to do is, if they have too high of a bill in their name, they will try to get the bill transferred into somebody else's name, even though they still live there and they have a huge outstanding balance. Right, and of course, the bottom line is, you know, in the water situation, the water you you end up having to pay for it as the landlord. In the case of the utilities, everything they write off as bad debts ultimately gets passed on to all of us that that we have to pay for. Absolutely correct. Now, thanks to call Robert, and again, I I don't want to sound like that. Oh, this is this heartless guy on the radio who hates the port. No, that that's not it at all. My point, though, has always been: I, I think 
you, you have to make an effort. Look, here's the bottom line. The, the utility company, you talk to anybody at We Energies, they, they, they don't want to shut off people's utilities. I mean, they're, they're in the business to get paid for, you know, what, what they do. You know, they, they provide a service of value. They don't want to shut off people's utilities. They want to work with people to try to get a, a collection effort going. But I don't think it's wrong to expect people to try to at least make a good faith effort and to pay down a little bit. Because, I mean, I'll tell you what's going to happen in Chicago. You know, if you've got people that are just going month after month after month, I assume the water bills come out like quarterly, and, and they're not making any payments at all, pretty soon they're going to be in such a hole you know maybe maybe if you know the the water bill was 120 bucks and you know that they had paid 50 or 60 bucks towards it i mean at least you could have like a manageable debt but if you go you know by if you let it run till it's a thousand or two thousand or three thousand dollars you're never going to dig out that that's just the reality and it's going to be everybody else that has to pay for it and that's where my issue comes in Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. You know, Eric, I was listening to your newscast, and you had one of these stories where actually it, it just it got me thinking about my parents. Now, my mom's been gone for about 10 years, my dad for about five, but your story just, just brought back memories. You know what the story was? Uh, let me go back and look here. So there's Molson Core story. Uh, no. There is something about travel in there. We had a story about Conan the dog at the White House. Oh, no, no. Mm. Okay, it's the blackface at oh, Sun Prairie High that, School. Oh, no. I assume that wasn't the story. Oh, no, no, because cause here's why. I mean, here, here's here's the, the story. Matter of fact, I, I've, got, I've got the letter that they sent out to all the parents. Mm-hmm. At Saturday's Girls Basketball, all right, a uh, at Saturday's girls' basketball game, a Sun Prairie student posted a picture on social media. Uh, apparently, he it's a he, and he posted this. Okay. At Saturday's girls' basketball game, a Sun Prairie student posted a picture on social media while wearing blackface. The student did not have face paint on when entering the game as a spectator. At some point during the game, the student applied blackface paint to his entire face. Peers intervened, and he removed the face paint. He would not have been allowed to enter the event while wearing blackface. Had district personnel been notified or observed this, we would have acted immediately, etc., etc. So here, here's what happens. The guy, he, he goes into the game not wearing the blackface. While he's there... He covers himself with blackface and then takes a picture mm-hmm. of himself in blackface that he then in turn posts on his Facebook account or his social media account. And then a bunch of other people say, hey, you idiot, you, you better take this all off. Now, the reason I thought about that is I'm trying to I, I was trying to picture Anna Jack Wagner. If 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 they got that call from the principal saying, do you know what your son did? <laughs> Did you did you did you know that that Jeff went to the basketball game and he got in and he apparently pulled out you know blackface and he started smearing and then he took a picture of himself and he put it up on his own account. I am picturing my mom and dad's reaction to that, and it's just it would not have been a pretty sight. I mean, (laughs) likewise, it's yeah, exactly. It's just this thing that. I, I mean, look, you can't fix stupid, and I, 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 I understand, but I mean, you, you want to just talk about all the, these chances. This was, he clearly planned to do this. He brought the blackface to the game. 
He didn't put it on in advance because he knew they wouldn't let him into the game. So he goes into the game, he does this, and then if there's any doubt, he puts it on his own Facebook account. Huh. <laughs> you know, uh, some sometimes, I always say this as a prosecutor, I mean, sometimes criminals were like really, really clever and you had to, they were really smart and you had to work hard to catch them. And then other times there were the dumb criminals and they were kind of like the low-hanging fruit. This kid is low-hanging <laughs> fruit when it comes to discipline. I mean, uh, yes. no mom and dad, I would not have done that. All right, let us completely and totally switch gears. Over the weekend, you, you had a lot of people in Washington, especially on the left, who were very, very anxious because Ruth Bader Ginsburg, She right now the U.S. Supreme Court is split, five conservatives, four liberals. Ruth Bader Ginsburg is the senior member of the liberal wing, very, very liberal, very, very accomplished jurist. She just has a different view of the law. And I've always said this, the law is an art, it's not a science, and people bring their... They bring their biases, and I don't mean that in a bad way. They just they bring their preconceptions and their approaches to it. People have different approaches of things. Right now, it's five conservatives. It's four liberals. Ruth Bader Ginsburg is 86 years old, and she is in very bad health. She's had surgery for lung cancer and radiation treatment for pancreatic cancer in the past years. She's also had surgery for early-stage pancreatic cancer in 2009. She was treated for colon cancer in 1999. She's 86 years old. So over the weekend, what happens is um, she had to be hospitalized. She was uh, treated for chills and, and a fever. She was subsequently released, and, and she's at, at home. And, and I say, you know, whenever there is a health scare, involving you know any of the justices but particularly in this case you know justice ginsburg who is 86 years old and obviously suffering from a wide variety of very very serious illnesses you know you have people who become concerned not just about her own well-being but okay what what would this mean what would happen if something would happen to justice ginsburg uh while, while donald trump is still the president he could get to make the appointment and you know you you could have the conservative majority go you know to you know um since six to three. Oh, and some people would think that would be terrible. And you have the same dynamic that, that goes on, you know, when it's a Democrat president. I bring this up because of, of this kind of larger issue that, that goes beyond Justice Ginsburg. What in most in most occupations, there is a time when people decide that it is time to retire. As a matter of fact, at, at many businesses, there are requirements that, hey, at, at the age of fill in the blank, at the age of 65, you got to start winding down. At the age of 70, there's a mandatory out clause. I mean, a, a lot of companies have those policies, and there's a number of reasons for them. First and foremost, the, the truth of the matter is, Look, there, there are vibrant 70-year-olds and 75-year-olds and 80-years-olds. There, there's no question about it. But in general, as we age, what you find is physically we start to slow down and cognitively we start to slow down. That That's just the reality that's out there. Plus, I, I think in some corporations they think, you know, after you know a certain point, maybe it's good to make way for that next generation. You know, we, you have to have a, a constant flow. In government, especially when it comes to judges, federal judges, 
whether it's a federal district judge, whether it's a federal appellate court judge or a Supreme Court justice, those are appointments for life. And, and that literally means for life. So what happens is, and this this is, happens to conservative jurists, it happens to liberal jurists, they end up hanging on, in many cases, way beyond their, the, the, the shelf life. I mean, they're, they're, look, and I, I don't want to talk about Justice Ginsburg, okay, specifically, but I want to talk about this overall situation where you can have people, because they have a lifetime appointment, you know, they, they, they can hang on even though very, very sick, very, very ill. And in many cases, the reason justices hang on is because they they don't want to, and judges, this is true on the federal court level and all different levels, you know, if, if they were appointed by a Republican president, for example, they don't want to step aside when there's a Democrat because they don't want to give the Democrat the ability to appoint somebody to that job for life. And the flip side is true also, I mean, I, I don't think there's, you know, given, you know, her health situation, you know, my guess is that this is something that Justice Ginsburg, you know, if if there were a Democrat in office, she'd be looking at, you know, saying, OK, maybe it's time to you know retire, given all these health issues. But because it's Donald Trump, she's not going anywhere. That, that's just the reality. She's not going anywhere. And whether it's her or any of the other justices on the right or left or any of the federal judges that decide they're, they're just going to hang on i don't think it's good for the country 414-799-1620 that is the acunet mortgage talk and text line i think the idea of lifetime appointments for these federal judges i think it's absurd i think there needs to be a mandatory retirement age whether the age is i I don't know what the right age is whether it's 70 or 75 I, I I have I have trouble once at 80. I mean to me it would be either like 70 or 75. I think there needs to be some sort of okay, it's time to move on provision. Now you need to change the constitution because the constitution says, you know, for life. I don't think the founding fathers though ever envisioned that you would have people who, you know, in their 80s would be deciding, okay, no, we're 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 just going to stay. I don't think, no matter how brilliant you are, you're, you're doing people a favor. 414-799-1620. That's the Accunate Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Like I say, in most occupations, at some point in time, you will hit a point where you know you will be retired. When you're talking about judges, district judges, appellate court judges, judges on the Supreme Court, to allow people even though they have brilliant, distinguished careers, to work into their 80s, I I just, I I don't think it's well advised. And the truth is, it's probably a lot of the law clerks that are doing a lot of the work. Wouldn't we be better off if we had mandatory retirement ages? 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. My answer is not just yes, but heck yes. We discuss in just a moment. 414-799-1620. I mean, okay, just just think about, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about my parents. And like I say, my, my dad lived till 85. I, a really, really smart man. But the last several years of his life, you know, it was just he, you know, cognitively 
physically, there is a deterioration. I know, I have a couple friends who are in their 80s. They are brilliant people. I enjoy them. But you know what? They're just, the reality is, and they'd be the first to tell you, they're not as vibrant as they were when they were in their 50s and their 60s. 414-799-1620. We discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. See, I don't want to make this about Justice Ginsburg specifically. I mean, she she's had some very, very serious health issues over the course of the last couple of years, was hospitalized over, over the weekend. She's 86 years old. I, I think there's this larger point here, which is, what are we doing with Supreme Court justices and district judges and federal appellate court judges who are over 80? And don't think I'm an ageist, but the reality is I think most people over 80 or 75 or whatever would say, yeah, look, we're, we're, we're sharp. We're able to contribute. But, you know, we, this is kind of the point in our life where we start to dial it back a little because, you know, we're, we're starting to slow down. Shouldn't there be a mandatory retirement age for justices and, and judges? And again, we can argue about what that age is, 70, 75. But, you know, people serving on the Supreme Court till 82, 85, 90, really? Let's talk to um, Jan and Matt, John in Madison. You're on WTMJ. Hello. Hello. How are you today? Very well, thank you, sir. What do you think? Well, I think there is a, a certain point that uh, uh, decisions are, you know, not, not made in the best of uh, light. Uh, with age, there's no doubt about that. Uh, however, you know, and the fact that uh, Moscow Mitch, you know, changed the uh, the landscape uh, by not allowing uh, Obama to appoint a uh, Supreme Court judge, mm-hmm. really, I mean, the Constitution is, uh, you know, out the window at this point. Well, I, I guess I mean, I mean, look, I mean, apples and oranges. I, I, I under, I understand, and but I, I mean, I, I understand that you had the Republicans when they controlled the Senate that they didn't have the the vote, the, they didn't allow the. President Obama's choice to go forward, and and, and I, I get it, but I, I don't think that's what the dynamic is that's going on here. Um, you, I mean, the, the reason they did that is because they were hoping there was going to be a Republican president to get that appointment. These are very valued appointments, and you have you have politicians to play games with these things, depending on who is in power. But you also have the justices and the judges who, again, with the lifetime appointment. I don't think by serving the party or their philosophy, I don't think they serve the general public. And again, I, I don't, I, I don't care whether we're talking about Clarence Thomas or whether we're talking about Ruth Bader Ginsburg or, or anyone else. I, I'm just saying that at, at some point in time, from the perspective of decision-making in the country, I mean, shouldn't there be some sort of retirement age? Why do we carve out, in this case, federal judges for lifetime appointments when we really don't have lifetime appointments for, for anything? Now, look, I understand there's very entrenched politicians that run and run and run and keep get elected and keep serving until they're, like, in their 80s, um, even though... I mean, chances are that a lot of their work ends up getting done by their staff and that they're nowhere near as vibrant as they were in their 80s as they were in their 50s. But at least in those cases, it, it's the voters that are making those decisions as to whether we're going to send you back or not. Um, I don't know. If mandatory retirement works for other professions, why shouldn't it work for for the courts? 
because we all slow down, no matter how gifted we are, no matter how brilliant we are. Sometimes isn't it just time to move aside? This is Jeff Wagner. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. I am glad that I do not have travel plans coming up over the next couple days. This, uh, you know, I, I don't think anybody exactly knows what's going on in the weather. Here, here's the way the newspaper's reporting it. A panhandle hook storm barreling towards Wisconsin expected to turn half of the state into a big snowbank. Ick. And soak the other half with cold rain. Ick. Depending on travelers' destinations Tuesday afternoon through Wednesday afternoon, the National Weather Service is advising folks to change their plans to avoid blowing snow and heavy snowfall of 8 to 10 inches. Winter storm watch was issued for Tuesday night and Wednesday north of a line stretching from La Crosse diagonally into northeastern Wisconsin. Storm is a classic panhandle hook, meaning it's forming in the southwestern part of the U.S., tracking through the panhandle regions of Texas and Oklahoma, through Iowa and into Wisconsin. Unlike many storms that move west to east, this storm will push precipitation into southern Wisconsin first and then spread northward. Strong winds moving in with the system, especially on Wednesday, so there could be blowing snow. Yuck, yuck, yuck. Folks traveling in southern Wisconsin or heading south into Illinois will likely only see rain because of the warmer air. Rain is expected to start falling between 2 and 4 p.m. Tuesday in southern Wisconsin and hits central Wisconsin about two hours later. But as the precipitation hits north, it will start to switch over to a wintry mix and then snow. Yuck, 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 yuck. Now, again, um, they, they they don't know exactly what the track is, but but uh, they're, they're, it looks like we're going to get hit with something and we're going to get hit with big winds on top of that. And then they're thinking at the end of the week, there's going to be another storm. And Crew, my producer today and always, you're here through Thanksgiving, but you're you're going to uh, Wausau sometime on Friday, huh? Yeah, hopefully it'll be taken care of by then. But then, I mean, I was texting with my mom and she's like, dude, there's going to be even more snow on the weekend. So uh we'll see yeah exactly because that that's kind of the thing because right if let's say wausau if wausau were to get hit with eight to ten inches of snow just if over the course of the before thanksgiving then you got the wind and then you've got on friday it's getting hit again you might just best to say mom we'll see you next time yeah it's always that potential i just and you hate it. it it just does seem like thanksgiving week we we always get this stuff going on all right speaking of, of thanksgiving let me back into this my my wife who does appeal to the better angels of my nature she she has a rule that we have now implemented and that rule is when we were when we are at dinner with other people or actually with ourselves as well the rule is you are not on your cell phone. And I think she'd be the first to admit that we, we found times where you'd, you'd be you know, out to dinner with people or whatever, and you'd find yourself you know, looking, looking at your cell phone and checking your texts and things like that. Our rule is the only time 
Either one of us will pull out our cell phone during a dinner, absent some sort of emergency situation, is if you're having one of those discussions about, gee, in the Three Stooges, was it Shemp first or was it Curly first? You know, when you're arguing with somebody about that and, you know, before the advent of, you know, cell phones and things like that, you just you wouldn't be able to resolve it. Well, you know, sometimes, you know, if you've you've got it there and you can just resolve it. Let's just Google this. Which three? Who were the original Three Stooges? It was Curly, by the way. So. You know, you, you, you could do all that. So that's to settle arguments and discussions. We will still use our cell phones on rare occasions. But as a general rule, when we are at dinner with friends, you're not going to see us pull out our, our cell phones and you're not going to see us texting. Uh, again, there are exceptions, I guess, if there's an emergency sort of thing that comes up. But as a general rule, those, those cell phones, they stay away. And candidly, I, I think I, I don't miss it. Because the reality is there, there's, there's no phone call that I get that's so important that it, it can't, it can't wait, you know, a few minutes if I'm out to dinner with friends. But I recognize that in some respects, I think I'm in the minority. How many times have you been out to dinner or to lunch? We're sitting around having a drink with some of your buddies, and everybody's got their cell phone out. And you're not talking to each other. You're just kind of like playing on that. All right. Well, to this point, there's a story in the New York Times yesterday. Here's what it says. Turn off your phone for Thanksgiving. This week, Americans will endure flight delays, traffic jams, and logistical miseries to spend time with family and friends. And when the holiday weekend is ending, many will lament that they don't get enough, spend enough time with those relatives and friends. But during the weekend itself, these same lamenters will spend a lot of time ignoring the people around them and distractedly staring into their phones. They will get a notification and disappear down a digital rabbit hole of Facebook posts, text messages, and fantasy football updates. They will monitor the comments on their photos they just posted instead of engaging with human beings in those photos. Many of us have a complicated relationship with our phones. We enjoy them in the moment, yet when we reflect on all the time we spend looking at the tiny screen, we feel lousy about it. So let me make this is the author a suggestion for this thanksgiving weekend turn off your phone and keep it off for a full 24 hours i predict you will be surprised by how much you like it all right 414-799-1620 that is the acunate mortgage talk and text line do you think you could do that turn off your phone for 24 hours over Thanksgiving, or if not 24 hours, maybe 12 hours, 414-799-1620. I, I will tell you, and, and again, I, I used to be a violator of this. I'm, I'm kind of born again when it comes to the phone stuff. When we go out with people, like I say, as a general rule, the phone gets put aside as a general rule. Now, there would be exceptions and all, but as a general rule, that's it. All right, with the holiday season on Thanksgiving, is it reasonable to expect that, gee, for that those eight hours or the 12 hours, or this guy says 24 hours, just, just turn off your phone? Would you be able to do it? And do you think it would be, I don't know, respectful? Do you think it would make for a better environment if you're hanging out with family and friends this holiday season? 414-799-1620, that is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. My answer is... I don't know, 24 hours, but certainly certainly that time when you're at grandma's house or, you know, you're at your daughter's house or whatever for Thanksgiving, do you really need to be looking at your phone? And my answer would be you probably don't. 
but can we do it? 414-799-1620. We discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. Cell phone addicts of Wisconsin, I am curious. Could you, would you give up your phone for 12 or 24 hours over Thanksgiving, and would it make for a better, better holiday? I think it might. We discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 414-799-1620. All right. Guy suggests over Thanksgiving, put down, turn off your cell phone for 24 hours. I don't know if people could do it for 24, but what about 12? Or what about what about during the day on Thanksgiving? Do you really need your cell phone? Joyce in Waukesha. Hi, Joyce. You're on WTMJ. Yes. Um, suggestion that I did last Christmas, I had... Um, grandchildren here, uh, teenagers, and I didn't want them on their cell phone because I want them to socialize, especially since two German grandchildren were here. Mm-hmm. And so I told them before Christmas started that Grandma had stuffed envelopes with money, and at the end, if they did not use their cell phone, they would be able to choose an envelope and get some money. And so I said it's between five, some have five dollars, some have twenty dollars. So it worked perfectly. They weren't on their cell phone. One of my grandsons, the oldest one, got $5, and I said, well, that was only $5, Mason. Yeah, but Grandma, that was $5 more than I came with. Yep, yep. So, so you bribed them, and it worked. It worked. It was worth every penny I put in those envelopes. And they actually socialized and talked to each other, right? Yeah. And yeah. They had, we're all silly. You know, they gave each other back massages in a circle. They all sat together. and Yeah. So, yeah, it was worth, like I say, every piece of money I put in there was worth it for right. them. Right. No, thanks, Go. I mean, I, I just see, I, I, what's, look, and I, I, I love the technology, so I'm not arguing that, but at the same time, it is so interesting. I mean, how many times have you, forget your relatives and people that you haven't seen, but I mean, how many times, just, just walk into a bar or something like that, and how many times, if you look around and you see there's a table and everybody's staring into their cell phones, they're not talking to the people that they're there with, and you know that 98% of that stuff, it, it could wait. I mean, it, it could wait. What about socializing with the people you're with? Jeff, here's a couple of texts. I was at my daughter-in-law's home for movie night. We were relaxing, or so I thought. I looked over to ask a question about the movie, and both my granddaughter and daughter-in-law were on their cell phones. I should have stayed home. I think for Christmas we'll collect all the phones for the night. Well, you know, there is there is this. Jeff, I was noticing this a couple of weeks ago at a restaurant we frequent often. As the hostess was showing us to our seat, I was taking notice of all the people we passed on their cell phones and not paying attention to those they were with. I admit I am just as guilty as well. Well, yeah. I mean, I, I like I say, this is... I'm born again on this because, you know, my wife just said, you know, this is it's just flat out rude. You know, we we shouldn't do that. And again, I, I, you know, don't call me up and say, well, every once in a while there's an emergency. I, I get it. You get this this emergency, you know, sort of thing. But but that's not going to be. That's not going to be the norm. Most of the times when we're sitting there on the cell phones, we're checking. "Eh, Let me just check this. Now, here's a text. This is from Ryan. Jeff, I can't do it. I have to monitor my fantasy football team. I'm almost in the playoffs. Well, okay. Well, here's the bottom line. Okay. You can monitor the fantasy football team, but you know, it, it can wait. All right, you, you don't have to make that trade at 8 o'clock on a Thursday night. You know, if you hold on till 9.30 when you get home, my guess is that you're going to be able to do it the same. I, I think, you know, this is one of the things that you think about for the holiday season, and you wonder, 
okay, if, if we all talk about the, the basic philosophy of life being short and you want to try to figure out ways that we can enjoy it and enjoy the people around us, you know, they always say that at the end of your life, nobody ever looks back and says, gee, I, I wish I had worked an extra day. That's what everybody, you know, will, will tell you. And there's probably a lot of truth to that. I mean, my, my guess is the same thing. If you sit back and you think of, you know, think of maybe some friend of yours that's passed or somebody, if you're younger, that's very, very dear to you. And you sit back and you think, gee, when, when I think of our time together, a- am I going to be happier that I, I spent those, you know, nights when we went out to have a meal or something together? Am I going to be happier that I spent myself, my, my time, you know, looking at my cell phone, checking my fantasy baseball team, or do I wish I had more time to talk to my buddy? I just, you know, if you look at it like this, I, I think that for most of us, the answer would be just put down the phone. So that's the challenge. The guy in the New York Times says, hey, try turn it off for 24 hours. I'm not saying you necessarily have to go cold turkey, but maybe, maybe for Thanksgiving Day, you know, when you're at your relatives, when you're at your friend's house, maybe just put the darn cell phone away. Trust me, when you leave, Anything that's there, those messages will still be there, and there's not too many of us are so that are so important or who are so important that you know you have to interrupt Thanksgiving dinner to to look at that text message that you're getting telling you about the latest Good Friday deal, Black Friday deal, or something like that. Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. So, Melissa, I know you are a movie fan. Uh, did you happen to see the movie numbers for this weekend? Two it was Frozen stories. 2. Frozen 2 just kicked butt. I mean, there was a question about whether or not... A lot of the the tween the the girls the young girls who you know found the original Frozen and were into the princesses and stuff mm-hmm. whether a lot of them have outgrown this but you know there's an, obviously a new generation coming up because um, Frozen two hundred and twenty seven million dollars um, hundred and twenty seven million dollars um, big huge now, the one I wanted to see was Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood with Fred, with Fred Rogers about you know well that's that's the other interesting story um that's not doing well which kind of surpri- surprises it got 97 percent on Rotten Tomatoes right and and it's uh you know everybody knows Mr Rogers yeah. and and things like that they estimated they estimated that the best they estimated it would open at 25 million mm-hmm. okay so that you know and, and, and it didn't it, it the the difference between that and like Frozen is it didn't cost as much I think they said it made it cost twenty five million to make sure so, um, but but they estimated it would open at twenty five million um, instead it only did thirteen and a half million that's so, so I'm hoping maybe Thanksgiving weekend it'll well, do that, better that that's it because of the na- you know a lot of these movies. I mean, it's opening weekend because everybody goes to see it because you want to see it, and then it kind of mm-hmm. drops off. Like last week, the big movie was, you know, Ford versus Ferrari. It opened at thirty-one million, and then it substantially dropped off, which happens a lot. There, you know, a quiet holiday family movie like the Mister Rogers one. They're thinking maybe. I think that might do a little well. Right. Well, right. over the weekend. You know, Tom Hanks, it's funny because he has this uncanny resemblance to Fred Rogers, right? So he did like a DNA test, I read, and he found out he is related to Fred Rogers. 
which is kind of bizarre. But, but way away. Like, like it was like, way, yeah, yeah, like stuff, sixth so, cousin, but yeah. still, I mean, that's kind of interesting because he really does. I mean, looking at clips of the trailers, he, he really does look like Fred Rogers. Well, no, and I, I agree that that's, that's a movie that's kind of on my want to see it mm-hmm. list. Um, but again, it's, I mean, it's a nice, quiet family sort of movie. I admit, I, Tom Hanks, the lore of Mr. Rogers, I'm a little bit surprised that it didn't do better, but maybe that's a movie that, you know, people will, will find over the holiday season. But um, if anybody was wondering whether or not people were abandoning princesses and things like that, Frozen <laughs> not 2, happening. Yeah. it is, no, it is not happening at all. All right. We talk a lot about reckless driving and, and people who, you know, drive 80 miles an hour and, and blow through intersections and, you know, drive in, in that sort of reckless reckless fashion and then of course we have apologists like you know the lady lena taylor who wants to be the mayor and um one of the municipal municipal court judges in milwaukee who say well you know i I think a lot of our reckless driving can be attributed to the lack of driver's education 10 years ago at mps which is just absolutely absurd i mean okay gee if you'd if you'd had driver's education when you were 16 you would have learned that you don't blow through a red light when there's children in the intersection at 85 miles an hour when you're 26 I don't really think so. But but so you've got this issue of of reckless driving. But there there's something beyond reckless driving that I I think endangers people who are walking. And, and that is it's the people who decide that they don't want to yield for pedestrians. And and let me kind of back into this. There's an interesting story in the Journal Sentinel about this, about how in Wauwatosa, you know, a, a number of citizens have been complaining that they've, you know, been been crossing in a crosswalk. You know, maybe it's they're, they're at the crosswalk, they're at the corner, even if it's an uncontrolled intersection, you know, they'll step out and they'll have cars that that don't don't yield to them. And so they complain to the police, and so now the police, what they're doing is the police are starting to do some of these, I, I, I'm going to call them sting operations, and I don't really mean it, well, maybe they are kind of a sting operation, where you'll have like a, a police officer in plain clothes that'll be like crossing in intersections, and people who won't yield like they're supposed to, you know, they'll drive through, and then the officer will radio ahead, and you'll have squad cars down the way that will pull the people over and either give them a ticket or give them a a site you know either give them a ticket or give them a warning in an effort to try to make people more aware that you're supposed to yield to pedestrians now the law state law says that you you if you're a pedestrian you can't cross you have to cross at corners you can't jaywalk right can't cross in corners but Regardless of whether or not it is a controlled intersection or not, controlled intersections, you know, you cross with the light, right? You got the walk sign, you cross with the light. If you're trying to cross when you're telling you not to walk, that's a different story. You don't have the right of way. But when it comes to like the uncontrolled intersections, you know, pedestrians have the right of way. Obviously, you're supposed to look before you cross the street, but cars are supposed to yield to you. I drive around a lot. And this is, I don't know if it's misunderstood or whether it's just ignored, but this is one of the, to me, I am amazed that there aren't more pedestrian car accidents. Now, again, I'm not talking about reckless driving, the people going 70 miles an hour through a red light. I'm talking about the situation where you have the people that are stepping out into the intersection and the cars that refuse to yield. 
I will tell you, and this happened to me twice, twice in the last week. It is there but for the grace of God that I did not get rear-ended because I'm coming up on these intersections. People are starting to walk out. They have the right of way. I am supposed to not drive around them. I'm supposed to yield to them. But you try to slow down or you try to stop to allow the pedestrians to cross in front of you. And the people behind you, well, they're just driving along. They, they almost rear-end you. Our number, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I don't know whether it's through law enforcement or for education or whatever, but more and more, I just see people, drivers, not realizing that they it's their responsibility to yield to people who are crossing the street under normal circumstances. And I guess to the extent that police want to do things to try to give people tickets or impress upon them, hey, when there's folks in the intersection, you can't not yield to them. I guess I'd be all in favor of this. 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right, I want to talk about yielding to people in either crosswalks or crossing the street. I think right now around here, you take your life into your own hands. In many cases, at many intersections, when you try to decide to walk across the street. And candidly, I think we got to do more to hold people accountable for not yielding to pedestrians. And if you are a pedestrian, all right, if you had those situations where you're, you're stepping out into the street and you see the car and you just know that that car is not going to yield to you, especially now that we're getting to be the holidays, that kids are off from school, that there's more kids that are around ever, than ever before, I think we, we need to do something to make things safer. 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. If you're on the line, please hold on. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 414-799-1620. Let's start with Matthew in Milwaukee. Matthew, hello. Hi, how's it going? Real well, thank you. Um, all right. Not yielding to pedestrians. You see that a lot? Yeah, I live right by Oakland Locust over here. Okay. So there's a lot of pedestrian walking right. over here with like all the restaurants that are right here. Um, and there's like there's these signs in the in the intersection over here that have like the do not turn on red and cars constantly turn over here on the red and there was an incident that i saw over here um, on my way to work one morning where car was yielding to a pedestrian but the car behind them yep. was trying to go around yep. and almost hit the pedestrian <laughs> they're about to cross and yeah. I, I, I thought I was going to about to like witness people flying. It was like, oh my god. <laughs> well, well, yeah, and see, and that's that that's part of the problem. Like I say, that's out there. Like I say, I almost got rear-ended twice in the last week because I I see the people they're they're in the crosswalk or they they have the right of way. And so, I mean, right. I got to slow down for them and then come to a stop. But I'm watching the guy behind me; they're not paying attention or whatever. And they're, so they're they're and it's like there, but for the grace of God that they didn't plow into me because I stopped. But I stopped because there were people in the crosswalk. Yeah, and people don't really they forget about their train like their basic training when they were going through the driver school or driver's ed, where you know you have to yield to pedestrians, you have to know that 
at intersections, right. there's, at, at the corners, if there's people there, you should yield to them. Yeah, and right, and regardless of whether it's a controlled intersection or not, I think there's a yeah. lot of people out there that say, okay, well, they're, they're not stoplights here, so, you know, who cares? You know, I, I have the right of way to go through, and that's not the way the, that's not the, way the law works. I mean, if it's, no, a, if it's an intersection. No, thanks for the call. No, and I, I'm sure on the east side where you have the heavily trafficked stuff, that's it. No, there's a flip side. There's a responsibility for pedestrians. I was, I got two work, work coming to work stories. I'll tell one a little bit. But I mean, we're coming to work today, going down a side street. We took a little bit different, um, we took a little bit different route because I had to drop my car off. My wife followed me and then she dropped, brought me to work. But I mean, it, it's by the school zone and I'm watching a couple parents with their kids who are like jaywalking. They're like walking out in the middle of blocks between cars with their kids. And I'm thinking, really, lady? I mean, really? Walk down to the end of the corner where there's a crossing guard and you won't have a problem. You just decide to walk out in the middle of the street and, and nobody wants to get hit. But you got a kid there, for goodness sakes. Marcus on the east side. Marcus, you're on WTMJ. Hey. Hi, Marcus. Excellent, excellent show as, as usual. Thank you, sir. My, my, my solution is this, is that it, the best solution is this. First of all, we need to understand when we all get out of our vehicles, we're all pedestrians. And, and we forget that. Because even though we're in our cars, we're all pedestrians. So I'm thinking of increased fines, more, more cameras at the pedestrian uh, walk lines. That's what I'm thinking. More camera shots at at the pedestrian crossing. So when you get someone uh, jaywalking or walking beyond that, then they can see what happens when that person gets hit. And especially right now, Jeff, uh, at the mall, it's crazy because when you walk out of your car and it says that you should be able to walk to the mall, right? Right. Right. Jeff, it's crazy trying to walk through the narrow walk at Mayfair, Brookfield, mm-hmm. you can get hit. So yeah. you tell me, but I think I think we need to have cameras at at the at the site, and as far as increased enforcement and tickets. Well, I, I I'm I'm there. Thanks for calling. And of course, it's going to get worse before it gets better because. The, the, you know, once the weather turns as well, not that the weather's been great for the last month, but once you get, you know, the snow on the ground that stays on the ground, and once you've got the snow banks, and so you've got people that have to climb over the snow banks and do that all sorts of stuff, it becomes more difficult. So I guess the, look, it, what they're doing in Wauwatosa is they're starting, and I don't think they're doing it. Sometimes when you have law enforcement, it's fair to criticize some of the things as, as money grabs. And that that happens from time to time. I don't think that's what they're about in Wauwatosa. What they're trying to do is make sure that, I don't know, people don't cross in the middle of the street, but also when they do cross and they have the right of the way, people slow down. Kathy in Wauwatosa. Kathy, you're on WTMJ. Hi, yes. Um, You know, I, I live in Wauwatosa, and I totally agree with you. And I drive up North Avenue, and I see the flashing lights. Um, by some of the businesses and, and right. I stop on North Avenue. My only, my only concern, and it's, it's when you're driving in the neighborhood, every other street is a stop sign, then, you, then the next street you don't have one. And on the next street when you don't have a stop sign, I see so many parents who have not taught their children that when a car doesn't have a stop sign, they really don't have to stop and they let their children when they have the stop sign, just run into the street or, you know, cross without looking. 
Oh, and when I, it is a controlled intersection and they cross regardless is what you're saying. Right, okay. Right. You know, every other street in Wauwatosa, when you're in the neighborhood, I'm in the McKinley area, and every other street has a stop sign. And so you stop mm-hmm. at the stop sign, and then the next, next intersection, you don't have to stop. And not that you blow through it, but you go through slowly. But so many kids don't even look. They don't right. stop. They don't look both ways. And and I think as a parent myself, whose daughter used to walk all, all the time to school, I'd always say, you don't trust any cars. You look both ways. You always stop, and you look both ways. And I think as parents, you know, they have this in their head that, well, cars have to stop. So, you know, my, they, don't, they just assume a car is going to stop even if they don't have to. And I think that as we have to start taking responsibility for that, too. We have to, as a pedestrian... Oh yeah, right, right. Because you're going to. I mean, thanks to God. No, you're you're definitely you're going to lose that battle with. I mean, the fact that you might have the right away if you step out and you get hit by the car. That that's not going to do you any good. Except that okay, maybe when you when you bring the lawsuit or whatever. I guess the the bottom line of this is we we talk a lot about the reckless driving, and that's that that's something that I think is fair. It is a huge problem. The hit and runs, the people that are just behaving in the completely irresponsible fashion. This is a variation of that that I think, again, I think as we go into the holiday season when the weather gets bad and there's the snow banks and all that and it gets dark earlier and earlier and earlier. And so maybe it's more difficult for some people to see and slow down. This is the other untold story that's out there. Is it as bad as the reckless driving? Well, no, I guess, as long as you let me put that asterisk up there, it's something that you need to pay attention to, which is, okay, pedestrians have the right of way and you need to yield to them or else bad things could happen. This is Jeff Wagner. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Welcome back. Yeah, if you'll notice, today has been pretty much a Packers free zone. I I don't have too much to say about yesterday other than the fact that I was – I, I I I had the same reaction after I watched that debacle with the uh, Los Angeles Chargers a couple weeks ago. And the Packers are having a good season. Don't get me wrong; they could very well finish. Believe it or not, I mean, given the fact that they they've got some spuds that are on their the the schedule the rest of the way, they could easily finish twelve and four, maybe even thirteen and three. So I mean, I but at the end of the day, you you watch that game and you just I, sometimes it's not always the better team that wins. My sense was you could have the 49ers and the Packers play 10 times and 9 times out of 10, maybe 10 times out of 10, the 49ers are going to win. I think that the Packers deserve some credit for having a comeback season, but I think they've still got a ways to go. So, you know, but it's it, enjoy the games. I guess that's the bottom line. But needless to say, I, I'm not. I'm not too worried about figuring out the Super Bowls in Miami this year. I'm not too worried about securing hotel reservations in Miami that first week in February. I just don't think that this is going to happen. All right. So this morning, I have to. Um, I I'm trying to get my car ready for winter, and it it needed. It was time to get new tires. So I was going. I made an appointment at the dealership Honda deal. David Hobbs Honda in Glendale, which is where I bought the car. They're an advertiser. So I was I was taking the car in. I was going to drop it off at seven thirty, seven forty five. My wife was going to follow me, pick me up, take me to work, and then um, take me back to pick up the car after I get done with the show. So I I'm coming in from the north to get the David Hobb Honda. You get off on the freeway 43. I go west on Good Hope Road and then turn and go south on Green Bay Road. So I'm, I'm driving down there. And I mean, this is where I grew up. I mean, I grew up in Glendale. And I passed 
the site of what used to be silver, what was the former Silver Spring House, uh, the bar slash restaurant that if you, if you went to Nicolay High School, all right, you, you hung out at Silver Spring House. Um, and, and of course, back when I turned 18, the drinking age was 18. So you'd have high school students that would, you know, would go to Silver Spring House. But Silver Spring House closed a couple weeks ago, maybe a month or two ago. I forget. But it's, it had been under various ownerships and stuff. But I, I remember driving past it, and I'm looking at now th- this vacant building, and I kept thinking about, you know, all the activities and just how many times I'd been in there, and the place was absolutely packed. And the, the thing that really struck me and some of the memories that came flooding back was that was the place when I was younger where we used to go on the Wednesday before Thanksgiving, which now, because we have to name everything nowadays, you got to have Cyber Monday and you got to have, you know, Black Friday, Blackout Wednesday. And what this means is it's the night where people go to the bars. And, and th- this is where we would go. Silver Spring House is where we would go because a lot of times when we were, for example, it's where you went when you're Nicolay, when, when you were in college, you'd come back for Thanksgiving. And, you know, it would be the first chance that uh, for those of us who went away to school, be the first chance for you to, you know, see some of your friends who maybe didn't go away to school, and we'd get together. And and my guess is, you know, you had your locations that you went to. For us, it was Silver Spring House. So, I mean, I just remember that that bar and how great it was. Now, I was thinking about this as I drove by because there was another bar that I, I think for some people was your was your mainstay, and that was Vitucci's on North Avenue, which was, again, in, in that that one of those older bars, Vitucci's had been on North Avenue since 1934, 1934. And that was another one of those places where, you know, whether it was the Wednesday before Thanksgiving or maybe over the Christmas holidays or whatever, that was a place where I, I can remember, you know, going and, and hanging out with friends and, and just, you know, enjoying it. That together with a lot of the other bars on the Near East Side that that have have closed over the last several years. And it's just, I mean, look, I I understand it's the ebb and flow of things. You know, you have new places that open up, and you have older places that end up closing, and then some of the new places end up closing. But there's something about going into a tavern and and hanging out with your friends and having a couple cocktails that, to to tell you the truth, there's nothing like it. And so I remember thinking, you know, when I drove past Silver Spring House, that it, it was, I get it, it's closed, I understand that went out of business, but I, I thought, you know, I, I miss this. You know, I, I remembered all the good times that we had. So I thought we would have a little bit of fun on the Monday before Blackout Wednesday. I want to talk about taverns, the best tavern, best tavern, either past or present, to go have a beer with your friends. 414 or your significant other, who hopefully is your friend as well. 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Like I say, this is in restaurants. I am talking about taverns. Now, you know, there are taverns that serve a little bit of food. Silver Spring House was one of those. But I'm talking about they're particularly bars. That bar, past or present, where 
you know, it's your cheers. You just want to go and you want to hang out, and whether it's Blackout Wednesday or it's the holidays, your friends are in town, people you haven't seen for a while, maybe some, maybe, you know, your brother lives in another city or something, and now he's in town or whatever, and you two of you are going to, like, run out and get yourself a beer or a cocktail. What is that bar for you? And why is it so special? 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Blackout Wednesday is coming up. Where do you, where did you hang out? We discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. This is Jeff Wagner. Back to Take Your Calls. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. 414-799-1620. They call Wednesday Blackout Wednesday. That's because lots of people come into town for Thanksgiving, and it's a chance for people to go out to taverns and things like that, have a cocktail with maybe friends of theirs they haven't seen for a while. We're talking about the taverns that you'd like to go to, the best taverns for Blackout Wednesday or just taverns in general. Cindy in Green Bay. Cindy, you're in WTMJ. Hello. Hi there. Hi, Cindy. Shrinsky's. Oh, <laughs> Okay. Uh, you're, you're, you know, you grew up in Glendale like I did, huh? Uh, Fox Point. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sh- Shrinsky's Tavern, which was located right next to my old grade school, Green Tree Elementary. So, you know, it just... Which was always kind of a bad mix, but it was it was just one of they had great fish fries, I am told, and just you know I can remember going in there with my parents and I'd sit there and they'd, they'd give you the, the the bottle of coke or something like that while my dad would have a beer or something. It was it was it was just a great bar. It was, and it was the place where we always gathered on the Wednesday before Thanksgiving. Oh, okay, got it. Yeah, I mean, that, thanks to God, it's been gone for it's, well, it's been gone for a long time because the grade school's been gone for a long time, and that that's one of the ways you know you're getting old. They've not only torn down your grade school, but the hotel they built in its place—they're now tearing that down as well. <laughs> Exactly, I know. I'm, I'm aging myself rapidly. It's, no, I think they. I, I remember. I remember Shrinsky. Actually, Shrinsky's was. Gosh, it, it was gone by about the time that I, I turned 18, so I didn't hang out there that much. 414-799-1620. Paul in Heartland. Hi, Paul. You're on WTMJ. Hey, Jeff. Thanks for taking my call. Yes, sir. Uh, anybody who grew up in Oconomowoc would remember Mr. Slows, which was just off of I-94 on Highway 67. And Bill Silvis, guy who went about 400 pounds, advertised it as the best damn sandwich in town, <laughs> and he called it. He called it Mr. Slows because, of course, he was slow moving around the place. Right. But because years earlier, back in the 70s, they opened up one of the first, it was called Mr. Quicks. Okay. And that was a fast food joint, you know, like an Arby's or something. And so he said, you know what, I'm just going to rename my restaurant Mr. Slows. And everybody went there for the best sandwich and a Bloody Mary on a Sunday morning or a Saturday uh, afternoon to have a beer. Th- it was strictly a bar and sandwich shop. That right, yeah, and that, that's what I'm talking. I mean, it was a tavern. No, thank, thanks. And see, that's that's the that's the thing. It's it's the tavern. We're all looking for our cheers. That's just kind of the reality. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. Let's talk to Tom in Watertown. Tom, you're on WTMJ. Hi, Jeff. Hi, Tom. I'm going to say Silver Eagle in Watertown, and I'll tell you what they the people there are always good. It's a it's a sort of a military bar, but not everybody in there is military. But it's it's got good appetizers. It's got good pizza. It's got good uh, food, and uh, the drinks are great. And the atmosphere is great. There's never no problem down there. Uh-huh. It's, it's a good bar. Okay, so here's my question: How much do they charge you for like a, a light or a Pabst or a Schlitz? 
like two bucks. There you go. See, that's, that's a place after my own heart, my friend, right there. <laughs> I, I drink old style, so I, I paid... Two dollars and fifty cents for a can of old style. There you go. See that? Thanks. See that? That's one of the other places about the. You know, that's one of the other things. So look, I look. I'm I'm not a I'm not a beer snob or anything like that. But you go to some of these places and it's like seven and eight dollars for a beer and all that. And I I get that, but I I I love the I love the places. I love the bars. I just do. I mean, some people collect stamps. I've said this before. Some people collect coins. I collect bars. I love to go to great bars. Before we go to new cities when we're traveling, I always try to do some research and I find. Oh, this is this really interesting bar that's here, and then I I drag everybody who I'm with to go find the, the bars and all. But um, I I do love those places where hey, it's you know two bucks you get the pint of Pabst or Schlitz or whatever. Let's talk to Craig in Waukesha. Craig, you're on WTMJ. Hi, Jeff. Hi, Craig. Uh, interesting topic. Thanks. Um, <laughs> we've got a uh, bar right downtown uh, Waukesha called Nice Ash, and uh, it's a cigar bar that they oh. grandfathered in so that you can. Smoke while you're there. You can't smoke cigarettes, but you can smoke uh, cigars. Right. And uh, you got a group of people there that every Monday night we play uh, poker, and uh, it, it's one of those things like like cheers. Everybody knows your name. <laughs> and you feel very very comfortable when you go in there. Okay, now Craig, I got to ask you: Are you married? Yes, I am. Okay, after you after you walk out of the cigar bar and stuff, do when when you come home, are you allowed in the house the way your clothes smell and stuff? My wife is very tolerant. <laughs> okay, well that's that that that's important. I mean, I, I've told this story in the radio before, but it is kind of one of the legendary stories in in Wagner lore. I was at a um, years and years ago. I was at a party at uh, it was at the yacht club. It was one of these. It was some fundraiser. It was scotch and cigars, and so I go to the thing, and I I don't smoke cigars back in the time the day I did. I haven't for a long time, but I I come home and I walk into the, the foyer, and I've told the story before, and my wife is standing there, and she looks at me, and she says, "Take off your clothes." Now, unfortunately, this was not a good take off your clothes sort of thing. It wasn't take off your clothes, I've got to have you. It was take off your clothes. Next thing I know, she's standing there with this garbage bag and the suit went two garbage bags. Suit went into one garbage bag, which went into onto the front porch to be taken to the cleaners tomorrow. The next day, the the rest of the stuff yeah, I think it just went flat out into the garbage. 414-799-1620. Jeff, I hung out at Silver Spring House as well. Nicolay class of 72. But my older years, I became a South Sider. I love the port of Hamburg near Mitchell Field. So many varieties of German beer on tap and glass boots to drink from. Alas, it is closed as well. Yeah, the, um, um, you know, you'd want to talk about a lot of the, those great those great spots, great spots for like the, the blackout Wednesday, all along the south side, Layton Avenue, all in that area. Just so many great bars and they're reasonably priced and everybody knows your name. 414-799-1620. Don in Heartland. Don, you're on WTMJ. How are you doing? I'm well, thank you, sir. Okay, you're looking for that great tavern. Where is it? Oh, Donahue is in Elk Grove. Okay. I've been there on multiple occasions. Absolutely. Why do you like it so much? Well, it's a great place. Uh, being 70 years old right now, um, it's a place that you meet your sons at and they live around the area. And there's a lot of dads that I know there who have their sons come there on that Wednesday night. It's a great meeting place. The place is packed. 
what a great place to just sit around and talk to your old friends and your friends' kids and everything else. Yeah, I mean that that's it's thanks. I mean it's it's sort of that family environment and and it you know you 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 want busy. I mean you don't want a place that's completely dead, but at the same time you want to want some place that's so busy that you're screaming at the top of your lungs or any of those things. I love just love places like that. Drew in Milwaukee. Drew, you're on WTMJ. Hi, thank you for having me on. Thanks for calling. Uh, I think uh, I was on the east side of Milwaukee on Oakland and Locust, Kaltz, K-A-L-T-S. Sure, used to. Yeah, I mean, it's been going, uh, there's there's a pizza place there now, isn't there, I think? Yeah, I think it's one of uh, R.C.'s places in there now. Right, right. I remember, I mean, it was a restaurant, it was a bar, um, they used to have comedy sports used to do their thing in the back of that place as i recall as well yep, but absolutely <laughs> they had a uh, three dollar pitcher nights and two dollar vice beer nights <laughs> three dollar pitchers of beer now you're dating yourself there drew <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah there you oh, go yeah. thanks that would have been in the the early 90s late 80s okay thanks to call i, I might i might well i mean i can remember yeah, maybe the late 70s, early 80s. Colts is going, I forget the name, but there's a pizza place that's there now. Tim in Okachi. Tim, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, Jeff. Thanks for having me on. Too. Thanks for I calling. I this thing about O'Donohue's, but uh, um, back in uh, the day President Kennedy got shot, my parents opened up, it was Brass's Hi-Fi Lounge at the time, mm-hmm. and I took it over in 70, 77, 78 when I got out of Brookfield East High School. And uh, that was just Brasses of Brookfield. We even had bumper stickers that said it was the Cheers of Brookfield. Right. But the biggest thing we did was, you know, the Wednesday night before Thanksgiving was big. But I started, or we started a tradition of having bands on Thanksgiving night. And back in the 80s, early 80s, when nobody else did it, and it was huge and became, uh, you know, by 9 o'clock at night, we had a line out the door, and we were a big place. And you're right. People wanted to see their friends when they came home from college. And we were a big uh, huh. old Brookfield East, Brookfield Central, and Hamilton hangout. So, right. So, so the idea was by by like eight o'clock Thanksgiving evening, people had enough of their family and they're ready to go out. Huh? Exactly. And people still tell me today that that's one of their favorite memories, and they miss that. Yeah. And uh, it was good times. It was a good time. I sold it in '98. It's called Pistol Pete's now. Oh, okay. All right. I know where that. Sure, I know where that is. No, thanks for calling. Good. Yeah. No, I. Yeah. I. Um, again, that's not my side of town, but sure, I know where Pistol Pete's is. That's the. Um, huh. Interesting. Actually, a good friend of mine lives pretty close to that to that place. It, it's um, one of those things where, again, whatever your cheers is, and and I, I understand that you know times change, and this is not to encourage people to go out and get themselves so drunk that they black out. That's why I always kind of cringe about that particular name. But the reality is, you know, this is an opportunity when people are coming back into town, it's a chance for people to visit, and what you want to do is you want to find that comfortable place, and whatever your cheers is, whatever your Silver Spring house is, whatever that is, hope you find it. Hope you enjoy yourselves. All right, when we come back, we're going to find out what John and Melissa and Greg have on their minds on Wisconsin's Afternoon News. Please stick around.